Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Okay guys, Father, we come again to your word. It's powerful, living and active. It says sharper than a double-edged sword. So we ask Lord that you would do work with your word. Pray, Lord God, that you would change people's lives. You would rewrite destinies tonight, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's return to the book of Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Say, voice from heaven. A voice from heaven. Voice from heaven came. There's too many voices from earth dictating your life, gentlemen and ladies. Too many voices from your past. Too many voices from your peers. Too many voices from your mistakes. Too many voices from your disappointments determining your life. There's a voice from heaven. Say, voice from heaven. The voice from heaven. Voice from heaven. The voice from heaven. It spoke and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. Say, desert. Where did Mark go? He? He deserted into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals. Say wild animals. And the angels attended him. So why does the Bible put wild animals in there? Because of the demons? Maybe? Anyone? Why did you put wild animals? You've got to put wild animals for a reason. Why? He's in the desert with the wild animals. Dangerous, yeah? Dry, yeah? Adam came into the garden with tame animals. Adam came into the garden with tame animals and he lost the temptation. So Jesus had to come into the desert with wild animals to win the temptation so that you could live back in the garden that Jesus wanted you to live in. Isn't that amazing? So Mark, the deserter, Jesus had to go back into the desert and win the battle so that the deserter could become an author. He does the same over your life. So when you've got divorced, Jesus comes back and shows us what it means to be married to one bride, and then he takes you there so that you can actually get healed from your divorce. It's beautiful. And you see the problem with wild animals, friends, they're not just physical wild animals. They become wild animals in our mind many times at night when we lie in bed. And because we're in South Africa, let's use the big five. Let's use the power of the elephant, which is an elephant stands in the road in the Kruger Park. You don't get anywhere closer because it blocks your road. And when an elephant stands in your mind in the middle of the night when you live, it's lying in bed, and that elephant trumpets and blows its ears and walks towards you, you can't budge because it makes you absolutely frightened. And the leopard is the one that stalks from behind and hits you from behind when you don't know it. And there's an enemy that stalks us from behind all the time to nail us at our inopportune time when we're really scared, when we're really disillusioned. It hits us on the back and the lion roars and makes us... The Bible says the enemy is walking around like a prowling lion, seeing who he can devour. And the rhino will stick his horn into us wherever he can and impale us. And Jesus comes and he says, 
Elephant out the way, rhino out the way, leopard out the way, buffalo out the way. I'm going to win a battle here so that my sons and daughters can be set free. Beautiful. It's after John was put in prison, Jesus went out into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting it into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. After he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father. So they left their father. Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. You see, friends, what's actually happening here is a voice from heaven that says, This is my son. And then Jesus goes and he says to people, come and follow me. He says, leaving their father. Say, leaving their father. They followed him. You see, Jesus only asks us to do what he's prepared to do himself. He's already left his dad to do what his dad wants to do on the earth. So when he leaves his dad, he invites us to join the journey of following his father in heaven. So Jesus will not ask you to do anything that he's not done himself. So when he says, follow me, it's like, I've left my dad to come to this earth. I'm telling you, you must leave your dad because we're going to go and do something for our dad. You get it? This is how the Bible works. Different ways of reading the scriptures. Those glasses are not going to work. There are different ways of reading the Bible. The normal way of reading the Bible is there was creation. There was a fall, man sin. There was redemption. Starts to get prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. You see the whole story of redemption and there's restoration. Man sinned, God, God created, man sinned, Jesus came, people started to get restored. And, and, and the whole Bible works like that. If you grew up in the vineyard churches, uh, their theology is around the kingdom. God put us in charge of the garden. He wanted us to rule over earth and nature. We gave up our authority. The devil came in. Jesus, God starts to prophesy a new king. And we start to see new kings coming. Saul comes, and then we see David, and we see Solomon. We see the book of kings. New kings come, they establish authority, and the kingdom of God starts to grow. Eventually, this incredible king comes. His name is Jesus, and he starts to bring his kingdom, and his rule of God starts to reign all over the earth. If you grew up in a church like NCMI, like I did, one of the ways that we read the Bible was, God will bless you, and you'll become a blessing. So, so we're in Durban, we're in Glenridge, God blesses us, uh, people join, we start to grow, money starts to come, we take that money and we go and plant new churches, we help them establish, and as we get blessed, we become a blessing to go out all over the earth. Amen? But I want to suggest another way of reading the Bible today. I want to suggest a way of reading the Bible like a son. And to un- try and understand the theology of these last two or three days. And to try and understand what it means for a voice from heaven to speak to me. So this is what it says in Genesis chapter 1, if you're with me. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, please. And Luke chapter 3. Genesis 1 and Luke 3. We need to concentrate around this, guys. Genesis 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image 
in our likeness. Say likeness. likeness. Let's make man in our image and our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So keep your finger there and turn to Luke chapter 3, please. And in Luke 3 it says, verse 23, it says, The son of Heli, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jannah, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of SD, the son of Nagi, where some of you come from. Your great-grandfather was Nagi. You've inherited his nature. The son of Matt, the son of Matthias, the son of Elmadan, ba-ba-ba, ba-ba-ba, Aminadab, Hezron, Judah, Isaac, Abraham, Terah, Zerig, Ru, Peleg. 35. Imagine having a grandpa called Peleg. The son of Eber, the son of Sheila, the son of Cain, and the son of Arphaxad. How's my dad, Arphaxad? <laughs> Imagine that, eh? Awesome dad. My grandpa was drunk when he called him and he named him. The son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mehalil, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of? Say it. In the beginning, God created man in his image and in his? And what is he? He's a son of God. Genesis chapter 1, like father, like son, comes from Genesis chapter 1. Like father, like son. But when you say to a person now, like father, like son, it's almost like a swear word. It's like he's just like his dad. He's arrogant, he's alcoholic, he's, he's dismissive, he's, he's just like his dad. He's, a, he's depressed, just like his dad. So, so like father, like son is meant to be a blessing. Like father, like son ends up as a curse. Yeah? So Adam messes it up. So turn to me to Exodus chapter 4, please. Exodus 4. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I'll harden his heart so that you will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. Say my firstborn son. So it starts with the son of God. Adam messes it up. He says, but this is important. I want to show what it means for a father and a son to work together. So I'm going to give, I'm going to give sonship a second chance. I'm going to call Israel my firstborn son and see if Israel know how to work with their father. And Israel messes it up. So if you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says Solomon, he says to David, Solomon will be my son. So he gives Solomon a chance. So it goes Adam, Exodus, Israel, book of Kings, Solomon. He messes it up, he messes it up, he messes it up. And the last thing God says in the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi chapter 4, he says, I will turn the hearts of the sons to their fathers and the fathers to the sons, lest I strike the earth with a curse. So the book of Genesis starts with the son and ends with the son. And we just see one messed up story after the next. 
And so God waits for 400 years for a father and a son to work together. Mark chapter 1 is the way that God breaks 400 years of silence. It says, there is a voice from heaven. Say, voice from heaven. That says, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. The book of Revelation ends like this. Revelation chapter 21 ends like this. It says, to him who overcomes, I will call him the son of God. Old Testament starts with son, ends with son. New Testament starts with son, ends with son. He messes it up, he messes it up, he messes it up. He waits for somebody to work together. 400 years of silence. He introduces his son Jesus. He gives us an example. And then what does Jesus say? Follow me. Leave your dad. Follow me. I'm going to teach you how to follow our dad so that you become a sign and a wonder of what it means to be a son and daughter on this earth to show this world what we need. They messed it up. They messed it up. They messed it up. He gave us an example. And right now I believe we're messing this thing up because we don't understand it properly. And so the world is saying, what's God like? I'm telling you what God is like. Primarily, God is the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the? Say it. Through me. Not the only way to heaven. The destination of Christianity is not heaven. The destination of Christianity is the Father. Amen? And so what happens, friends, is leadership structures from the world infiltrate the church, and we end up using people's resources to fulfill my mission. It's not biblical. It's a leadership structure. It's not family. Amazing, eh? So let's have a look at, at Romans chapter 8. Has somebody got like normal glasses, like one and a half length? Oh, I'm so blind. Are you? She's so am I. <laughs> these are these yours. Oh, those are beautiful. I received these in the name of Jesus. As a sign of your generosity, my brother. Pray you. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! Ho! Okay, you know where we are. You see where we are. Like father, like son. And, and, and girls, let me say this to you. Sonship is not a gender insensitive term. It is a culture breaking mindset that girls get an equal inheritance just like boys. Okay? So when I say sons, I'm not making it, not excluding you. I'm actually telling you, you're exactly privileged in exactly the same way as any son on the earth. Romans chapter 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. Romans 8 verse 12. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Say sons of God. For you did not receive. Say did not. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Say fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. In the ESV it says, you received the spirit of adoption. My, My friend Adrian adopted a little girl called Rosie who was discarded and abandoned on the side of a road on a rubbish heap and went through a process and adopted her. And the day that he adopted that little girl called Rosie, her surname changed to Quinlivan. She received a new surname. And that surname entitles her to everything that her father has. She becomes exactly the same heir as his two naturally born children. She comes into the house, she shares the family, she eats the food, and she has the name. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
I don't like the word daddy because when I got older, I didn't call my daddy daddy. But it's the equivalent of daddy. It is a mind-breaking, religious-altering phrase that says you don't have to be scared of some distant God. He is an intimate, evolved, unbelievable, incredible father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Say heirs. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may share in His glory. Friends, I want to share with you six privileges of sonship, and I want to ask you this question, are you like father, like son? The first one is simply this. The privilege of sonship is security. I have no fear. Now, for you who know me, I have a brain tumor. I've had a brain operation. The beautiful thing about that is I have some doctors who can go to court and tell me they've seen it. Unlike some of my friends. But I applied. I had a brain tumor and I was from a rugby injury. An operation before I got married. The brain tumor grew back. I had a wife. I had children. And then I had to apply for medical cover. And I had to apply for life insurance. And I went to Momentum, and I went to Standard Bank, and I said, I, I want to get life cover. And they look at my, my history. They say, have you had a brain tumor? Yes. Well, it's going to be weighted. Do you need a brain scan? I've had a brain scan. I've got another brain tumor. Sorry, we can't insure you. And then many nights that I've gone to bed, fearing whether I'm going to die or not that night, and my family are completely and utterly exposed. It's bad planning, it's bad management, and there's nothing that I can do about it. And the spirit of fear gripped me. And all these friends started to help me and put me with different insurance guys, and they say, we'll try and make a loop at the bottom line when the executives of all the companies get back. They say, we can't insure this guy, he's too high a risk. And so I've got a choice. I can either live under the fear of being uninsured, or I can allow the spirit of God to deal with my fear and I can stand as a son in difficult times. You see, Adam messed it up. And Israel messed it up. And Solomon messed it up. And Jesus said, I'm going to face every fear that you face. And I'm going to win it. And I'm going to give you a responsibility to go into a world that is riddled with fear. Yeah. And show you how to live without fear. As sons and daughters of God. How many of you here today? And I don't have an ounce of judgment because at times I've been serving God for 25 years. At times I go to bed at night with such a headache. I think, God, am I going to wake up in the morning? Fear grips my heart. And I've got to take Romans chapter 8 and it says, I'm a son. I walk by the Spirit of God. And I have not received the spirit of fear. Just it up. I reckon if we took a five-kilometer radius of this building, every fear exists in the world will be present in the 5K radius. Fear of failure, fear of divorce, fear of bankruptcy, fear of the future, fear of safety, fear for your children, fear of education, fear of... I'm praying today if I preach properly and you understand this theology, that the perfect love of Christ will drive out fear in your life. If you battle with fear, I want you to stand tonight, please. Just stand where you are.
Pode ir lá. On the cross, they hang a man. To redefine who I am. When he died, the heavens were torn open. The Spirit of God came down, descended upon us, and that Spirit speaks to our spirit. It says, do not fear. It's not about your life, not about your future, not about your job, not about your children, not about your health, not about your safety, not about your security, because I'm your father and you're my son. I'm your father and you're my son. Single girls, you can come and go as you like. The Father of God is upon you. Father God, I pray the Bible says that you are greater than all and not, no harm can come to your children. I pray, mighty God, anyone who's been violated, I pray today that you drive out the spirit of fear today, Lord God. This fear of finances, the fear of how you're going to make things meet at the end of the month. I pray, Lord God, you drive that fear out of these men and women, out of your sons and daughters, Lord God. Don't worry about your children. God's got them in the palm of his hand. Don't worry about your health. I don't know, if something happens to me, I don't know how my family will be looked after, but I've chosen to trust God because I can't trust insurance companies. I'm not saying you mustn't insure yourself, you should. I'm just telling you, I can't. And so I've had to take that reliance of my financial future and I have to put it at God. And so therefore I sow extravagantly into His kingdom, knowing that one day if I have to go, somehow those seeds will bear fruit in my family's life. But I don't fear anymore. I don't fear. It comes knocking on my door every day. Every day, knocking on my door. And as my head gets sore when I get on the aeroplane, that thing comes knocking. You see, friends, fear, we can let into our house. It loves to stay for a cup of tea. Loves to stay for a cup of tea. And then just as the tea gets longer, it says, well, you're about to serve supper. Can I stay for supper? And then supper comes and they stay for supper. until it's late now. I can't, don't like driving in the dark. So it spends a night in your home. And then another night. And then another night. And before you know it, it's resident in your guest room. Jesus, I pray tonight, you drive fear out of these people's lives. Not, Lord God, with shouting, but with the theology of Romans chapter 8. You started this with a son, like father, like son. You ended with a son in Malachi. You started with a son in Matthew and Mark. You ended with a son in Revelation. I pray today, like father, like son, there will be no fear in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Number two, friends. Number one, <clears throat> security. Number two, authority. We have received the spirit of adoption. We've received the spirit of adoption. And I'll explain it to you this way. My dad dies. Watch him dying. <clears throat> I inherited his will, and now I inherit this business, and I haven't a flipping clue what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm not a businessman. I couldn't see a deal if it fell in my lap. And now I've got this business, and I've got a mum, and I've got a sister, and I have to run it for them and there's their trusts and there's educational policies and the creditors that have to be paid and there's 260 staff and I don't know what I'm doing. And so I got on my knees simply like this, friends, because I read Romans chapter 8 because God has been speaking to me about reading the Bible in a different way. I'm not saying it's the only way to read the Bible, but it is one way to read the Bible. And I got on my knees like this. And I needed a license that had been in my father's name for 40 years to be transferred into my name. And I've got absolutely no authority in any realm in the business world except I've got authority as a son of God on earth with a father who art in heaven. And so I prayed this prayer. I got on my knees and I said simply this. Our father, say that with me. Father, who, art who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That's all I pray. Our father, 
Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want to treat your name as holy, God. Everything the Bible says about you, I want to treat as holy now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I need favor with the Department of Energy. And I need favor with an arrogant lawyer who drives a Rolls Royce. And I don't know how to do that. So I just pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And three days later, I go to an under-eight Billy Keys rugby tournament sponsored by the Department of Energy. Because the Director General of the Department of Energy's son and my son play in the same rugby team. But I couldn't make the link on earth. But my Father in heaven could make the link. When I cried out to Him. And when I treated Him as holy. You just give God His... Treat Him as holy. Take everything it says about Him and, and give Him the credit for that. And He will start to shift things on the earth. just sat there, I thought, it's unfair, man, for the other guy. <laughs> it's unfair, it's not right, eh? It's unfair for the other guys. <laughs> eh? It's like, I'm a son, I am a son of God. I'm a son of God. I just sat there, not boastful, I just sat there thinking, I'm living in a thousand year theology that I'm starting to understand more and more. We end up at this meeting with this lawyer in a Rolls Royce. Now anyone who drives a Rolls Royce is dodgy. <laughs> a lawyer who drives a Rolls Royce. And if you drive a Rolls Royce, be offended. But remember, son of Mary, you're actually a son of God. So get over it. <laughs> so we're sitting with this meeting now. I call them the Rolex Brigade. We're sitting at a meeting here, and, and our accountant, our auditor, business partner, and he walks in and he says, isn't one of you guys like a pastor? And I thought, I've met the number one head of the agnostic atheistic society of South Africa, and I'm going down. I said, yes, I'm a pastor. He said, hey, my folks are missionaries. He said, I like, I like, like, pastor guys, like missionary people. <laughs> opens the files, opens the files, talking, he says, don't you make speeches at schools? So I said, yeah, I do. He said, did you make a speech at Woodhill College at their speech day? I said, yes, I did. He said, you like spoke about your dad on the side of the rugby field. I said, yes, I did. He said, I was there. I heard that speech. He said, it touched me. He said, you know what, I'll help you with this license. Say this with me, our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Nothing in authority. I'm a son. I carry the same name as him. I was going to get on my knees. And I've got to let him in heaven make things happen on earth. Yeah? The third area, friends, is the area of intimacy. Abba Father. Abba Father. Abba Father. Say Abba Father. You know, if you look at the Bible, Jesus invites his disciples, he goes onto a mountain, Mark, 
I was going to preach on this tomorrow morning, but I'm not anymore. He goes onto a mountain and Mark. Mark. Goes onto a mountain. Whenever, whenever you, nothing in the Bible is for free. Everything's got a reason. When he goes on a mountain, whenever you see a mountain, you've got to know God is about to do a redemptive work. He produced a lamb on a mountain. The cross was on a mountain. So when Jesus goes up on a mountain and calls 12 disciples, you know that he's about to do something redemptive. Every church in the world can take its origin back to those 12 men on top of a mountain where he renames them. You call this, you call that, he renames people. He says, you're not going to live with the label the world gave you, I'm going to rename you. And it says he invited them to be with him. Say with. In Pretoria we say with. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've got to have faith to please God. Here, two, three, four, faith. Say with. With. That's awesome, eh? Me, I'm walking with Jesus. And then on my wedding day, Jesus gave me a whiff that I could... That I, that I could be with for the rest of my life. I could be with her. Hey, God is good, eh? God is good. Okay, say with. So Jesus says to his disciples, I'm inviting you to be with me. And I realized an amazing thing. Just met with different people, met with some church leaders here. Christianity is a long journey. Long journey. And I've watched many people burn out. And I watched people that were once very passionate for God that don't go to church anymore. I've watched people who have led and led worship and led home groups and, and now they just, they're like decon- they're just like, I'm not going to church, I'm going to go and meet with Jesus in a coffee shop and at my home. And I'll tell you why. There are four different ways that we can meet with God. The first one is under God. We spend our life under God. We, most of us do. I live in Pretoria. Most Afrikaans people live under God. And we do have to obey God, but actually that's not what Jesus invited us to do. He invited us to be with Him. Intimacy, journey, interaction with Him. But we spend too much time under God, and eventually the thing becomes a set of laws and regulations. And it becomes a behavioral pattern that will exhaust you. Type A personalities like myself, we want to actually live over God. We want to kind of co-rule with Jesus like Jesus you and me let's do this church thing together <laughs> you know and so you get books like Jesus the CEO so you can actually have a Christian business without Christ and you can have a Christian marriage without Christ you take a principle you apply it into every area of your life and you kind of live over Jesus you live you, you kind of take the principle and you apply it into your world the prosperity gospel says let's take something from God so we live from God and we're always coming to God for it. it's like I've done this you must give me this I want something from you bless my family always looking for something and one of the dangers of preachers' kids, my children, is we want to do something for God. In a missional model, I grew up in a church where we wanted to do something for God. It's like make a difference, make a count, make a decision. So I say to my kids, hey, we left Durban, the sea, and we went up to Pretoria for God. You guys must count for God. That's not the invitation of Jesus. The invitation is to be with Him. Under God, over God, from God, for God are all wonderful except over God, but they will all lead to burnout if you do not have an intimate relationship with Jesus. 
the invitation of God was to be with him. And he opened the way to the Father. Say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. You and I have been given the privilege of intimacy. Exercise that privilege. When a couple of intimate children get born, when people are intimate with God, things get born. Not from being distant, not from email, from intimacy. Amen? Number one, security. Number two, authority. Number three, intimacy. Number four, assurance. The Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm the Son of God. Go like this, the Spirit testifies with my spirit. Do it like this. It says, the Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm the Son of God. This is the picture. Oscar Pistorius in the middle, Barry Rue on one side, Kerry Nell on the other, arguing hither and thither, what happened, when did it happen, what were the angles, how did it take place, who shot, what were the noises, and it's going backwards and forwards. The picture, friends, is that you're sitting in the middle, and you've got an advocate, and you've got a defense and an attack attorney, and they're arguing about your sonship. And the arguments are going backwards and forwards. But he did this, no, but he did this, and he did this, and he did this, no, he did that. On this day, when he, said, and when he did, and there was pornography, and then there was this thing, and then there was drinking, and then there was this, and there was drugs, and this thing. And actually, he doesn't do it because of drugs. And the advocates are going hammer and tong. This scripture says, and the defense attorney introduces a key witness that settles the case in one phrase. So you've got pages and pages and pages and pages of documents. And a guy walks in and says, one sentence, case settled, I'm a son. Done deal. The problem, of course, is Facebook. And the problem with millennials, millennials, is you're so freaking sensitive. <laughs> about who likes and dislikes and how many likes and it's like, it's like, here's my picture, Instagram. Woo, here's my picture. Dislike. <laughs> they disliked me. Get over it. The Spirit of God testifies with your spirit that you're the Son of God. And friends, we are living by our feelings and not by our faith. And people's opinions are throwing God's children into all sorts of disorder. God says, are oh, you fat? Oh, the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I'm a son of God. I don't care what you say or think about me. How do you know what? How did you get divorced? How did that happen? Life falls apart, and at that moment, the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit that I'm a son of God. And you work on a deal. Your whole life or your whole three months, you work on a deal in your business, you're the key player, you botch the deal through stupidity, and the whole deal falls apart, and everybody thinks you're an idiot, and you get fired from your job, and as you walk out of the office, the Spirit testifies with my spirit that I'm a son of God. Assurance is one of the privileges that you and I need to exercise to make sure that the world doesn't dictate our well-being. Amen? Two more and we finished. The fifth one is inheritance. Inheritance. You're an heir. Say heir. 
read my dad's will. That's a beautiful document. I got it in my top desk drawer. Unsaved man. He only got saved at 70, 71 or 72. My sister's a little tot. 50 kgs. Tiny. Little thing like this. And she's pretty. People say, I can't believe that you're a brother and sister. I think it's the size or the looks. Or the brains. She seemed to have got the lot. But my dad had a brand new Land Cruiser. Out the box, 1,600 kilometers or 1,800 kilometers. The new one with the, de- the dent in the bonnet like this. And I mean, I'm South African. And I live in Pretoria. And a Pretoria Toyota is like a Mercedes. It's a status symbol. Exactly. And if you want to be the in-card in Pretoria, you drive a Land Cruiser. It's like, it's awesome, but the plus, the haunt, and the bucky. That's the three things that is belangrijk in Pretoria. Your ma, your bucky, and your bar. Yeah, I say. For your ma, copy chocolates. For your bucky, diesel. For your bar. Bedaf yourself, your rover blacksum. Bedaf yourself, your rover. So I think surely, surely, guy. Understand Afrikaans, it's good. <laughs> so I read my dad's one thing, surely the, the land cruiser gets left to me. And in my dad's will, it goes like this the land cruiser gets left to my daughter, comma, So when she drives at night, she's safe. It's amazing, eh? You see, we think we know what we need. But our fathers know what we need. Our Father in heaven knows what we need and what we don't need. I thought I needed a land cruiser. My dad showed me more about God in that phrase. He was more concerned about my sister's safety than about my status. That's amazing, eh? If my father on earth knows he's evil, knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more? Say how much more. more. Father knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need and what you don't need. And don't look to your sister or your brother or your uncle or your elder or your business, Lani, in the church. Don't look to him. Just look to God. He's got an inheritance stored up for you. If I got left a little piece of land on the top of Van Rienen's Pass, there's a derelict garage next door to it, and if they get my piece of land, then they can start another garage, but our garage is 20 k's down the road, and it becomes opposition to our garage. So when that piece of land was on the market, my dad bought it. So that that garage can't make a bigger garage and become competitive to our garage. 
<laughs> it's awesome. So, yeah, I went and stood on that piece of land. And the grass is long now, and I stood on that piece of land. My kids were like boring. It's like, what's dad doing, mum? He's having this moment. <laughs> My dad left me a piece of land. <laughs> I stood on that piece of land, and I thought, this piece of land is priceless. There's no value. Not one million, not three million, not seven million, not 25 million. Because if I sell this piece of land, I'm going to affect my dad's business, the thing that he worked so hard to give his family. And so this piece of land, I'm going to just enjoy it. I'm going to keep walking on that piece of land. I'm going to keep visiting that piece of land. My family are going to think I'm mad. But one day when my son understands and I die, he will inherit that piece of land. And he'll give that piece of land to his son. But that piece of land will never be bought by anyone. The Bible says in Exodus that God will give us an inheritance from sea to sea, from river to dry ground. I'll give this to you as an inheritance. And the rest of the Old Testament is fighting for this inheritance. David spends most of his life fighting for this inheritance. So all those wars against the Canaanites, the Malachites, Jebusites, Cape Townianites, <laughs> Metanites, Mountainites, and all those other ites, is to get this piece of land. And at the end of David's life, Israel lives in about two-thirds of that inheritance. And then Solomon starts to sin. Son of God messes it up. Son of God messes it up. Son of God messes it up. And the enemy starts to take back the land. And now Israel is smaller than the Kruger National Park. But this is the piece of land that God gave to Israel. Now Jesus has given us a piece of land which the Father gave to him and he won the victory for us. And the devil comes and he says, son of Mary, bastard child, no inheritance and you believe it and a little piece of your inheritance gets cut off. And then he comes to you and he says, you know that guy who said that about you and you believe it and you choose not to forgive him? So unforgiveness gets in your heart and a little bitter root starts to grow and a little baobab tree starts to grow and peace goes and bitterness comes in and another little portion of your inheritance goes. And then your dad gets murdered when you're 15 years old. And you become bitter and you become cross with God. And another little piece of your inheritance goes. And then you're in a meeting and they start to talk about God the Father. And you understand it. And so you forgive God and you make peace in your heart. And God gives you that little piece of your inheritance back again. 
I've got a little piece of ground on top of Van Rennen's Pass. 15 meters by about 35 meters. There's no price on that piece of ground. You and I have been given a piece of ground. Peace, forgiveness, humility, reconciliation, generosity. What price is on your piece of ground? Let me ask you this question. How much as a percentage as a percentage do you believe you live in as a son of God of the inheritance that God gave you? Percentage. 40%? 60? 50? 50? Sixty? Sixty? Forty? Fifty? Be honest. Forty? Five? Five percent? Five percent? See, friends, like father, like son, has been robbed to compare you with your earthly dad or lack of earthly dad. Like father, like son, is a biblical promise that we understand everything God has done for us in Jesus and that you are now heirs of an inheritance. I pray over these two or three days you will understand more of your inheritance stand on the piece of ground and never give it away. Number six, he finished with this. I'll read it to you again, the whole scripture. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You receive security. But you receive the spirit of sonship. We receive authority. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, we receive intimacy. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are God's children, then we are heirs. We receive assurance. If we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, say sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Friends, the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God. Say that with me. The presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God. And to prove my theology, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5 and then we finish. I know this is a bit of a weighty section.
Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, although he was a son. Say, although he was a son. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. There's a son. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source. Say source. Sons will suffer to become sources. See, so the absence, the presence of suffering does not mean the absence of God. I don't believe God causes the suffering most times, but God always uses the suffering as a privilege of sonship, but in order to make us a source. Example. As I used earlier, my wife's father was murdered. Did God cause that? I believe it is a direct result of the devil. Out of that suffering, she found God. And as God healed her, she became a source. If somebody comes to me and says, my dad was murdered, can you pray for me? I said, yes, I can pray for you. But I know someone who can become a source to you. Where the water starts to flow from deep within. Who's been healed. If a guy comes to me and says, I've got a dislocated knee, can you pray for me? Yes, I can pray for you. If a man comes to me and says, I've got a brain tumor, Rory, and I suffer with headaches every day. Can you pray for me? I said, yes, I can pray for you. Because I've become a source. I've suffered, but God has used that suffering to dig a deep well. And out of that well, I've become a source. And so right now, as you're suffering, don't say, God, where are you? Just say, God, dig this well deep so that I can become a source for other people. A son in Genesis chapter 1 messed it up. A son in Exodus 4 messed it up. A son in the book of Kings and Solomon, not Solomon, Samuel messed it up. So God says, I want a son and a dad to work together. 400 years I'll wait. Okay, here's my son. This is how he operates. This is how he operates. He's going to give us an example, and then he's going to hand the responsibility. He says, now you must leave your dad. You must follow me, because I left my dad. I want you to follow me, and I want you to become sons and daughters of God, and show this world, which is in complete turmoil, in junk status, what it means to be a son and daughter of God. Say this with me. I am a son. I've been given security. I've been given authority. I've got access to intimacy. I've been given assurance. I've been given inheritance. And I have the privilege of suffering. These are all a gift to me. Jesus' name.